Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would take these very bare bones of my thoughts and put upon them by your spirit, flesh and muscle, that they may come alive to give us that impetus for a new year. In Jesus' name, Amen. (coughs) One of this week's stories that (coughs) attracted me to delve into it on Facebook and Twitter, you can be overwhelmed with everybody's favourite story of the week. But one was the fact that three quarters of a million young people in the UK feel they have nothing to live for. Three quarters of a million young people between 16 and 25 in a Prince's Trust, uh, the Prince's Trust charity claims feel they have nothing to live for. A third of those in that age bracket on long-term unemployment feel like taking their own lives. A third of our young people on long-term unemployment feel at some stage of taking their own lives. Suicide and purposelessness are intrinsically linked. There were 12 suicides in Lurgan in the past month of the same age group. Then in a less serious and more humorous way, you're standing as you are after you've come back late from Ballycastle in the New Washington just beside Crichton's there waiting for a Chinese. The black bean sauce, by the way, is very few points in Slimming World. And you hear the couple in front of you having a conversation with one of the guys behind the counter and they're talking about golf, which still attracts me even though I haven't played for a long time and they were members of Murray, and they were talking about the Saturday. It was like being back at home, to be perfectly honest. The conversation about getting into that bunker and how the wind was blowing and how the putting was going and all of that. And then one of them said, are you out tomorrow morning? And he said, well, who knows what the weather's like? And he says, ah, we'll just get the wife to pull the curtain and if the weather's not good, she can tell you to roll over. And I have to say, coming back from Ballycastle, it's getting late on a Saturday I was thinking, imagine if you could just pull the curtain and if the weather wasn't so good, you could just roll over. What is different about us who didn't open the curtain this morning and then roll over? Why have we come here? Why do you bless you Come every week. Why will some of you, bless you, even come again tonight? Well, 11 days after Christmas Day, on the first Sunday of a brand new resolution-fueled year, John chapter 6 and this table is a very good place to start. Because it seems to me that in today's reading, we have the answer to those who feel they have no purpose in life, to those who feel that they have nothing to live for, and to those who, if the weather's not that good and they can't play a game of golf, 
have no reason to get out of bed. We have the answer right here. Now let me give a caveat to that. We need to hold that answer confidently and strongly, but with gentleness and humility. But most of Belfast probably thinks we're crazy not just rolling over on a Sunday morning. I can remember one Saturday morning at 10 to 9 when the girls were doing drama classes. Standing waiting for one class to end and another one to start. Thinking just one lion would be great in the week. When the person beside me says, oh can you not wait till tomorrow morning to get a lion? And I thought, there's the difference. People have a Sunday so they can get up earlier on a Saturday or whatever else because they get a day of the week when they're not coming to worship. But we have here, they think we're crazy. Take the day off. Go and have a walk. Have a run on the towpath. Get the bicycle out. If the weather's good. And if it's not good, just roll over again. What are you doing? What is this wee bit of bread and this wee thimble of whatever you have in it and what are you singing and why do you do that? Well we do it because it is the key to the universe. It is the answer to most of the questions that are being asked out there about purpose. Right here at this table Right here in this passage, we find that which feeds the world. John's editorial gets more and more fascinating the more time you get to spend in it. The more commentators you read, the longer you spend, rather than just snipping in for a few verses and out. And this chapter, chapter 6, is just quite remarkable. If you remember back to the last time I preached, I was preaching about the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus taking bread and fish and meeting the physical need of people, which is very important to God. Then the bit that we've missed out on for various reasons of scheduling and trying to get an extra Sunday off, thank you to Brent for filling in, we've skipped almost Jesus walking in the water. But don't miss those two stories as being linked with this bit of the story where we find Jesus as the bread of life and he starts to talk about his coming around the table to eat his flesh and drink his wine, drink his blood. Because what we have here is this Exodus story happening. The bread in the wilderness. The feeding of the 5,000. The going through the waters. The walking on top of the water. And then into this story where the people are asking for more signs as they did in the wilderness. Some commentators would suggest because in verse 59, Jesus it, it talks about how Jesus was saying this stuff in the synagogue, that it, this actually might have been Jesus' exposition of Psalm 78. Some of which, if you read it, when you go home, it says um, it's basically about the Exodus. It talks about all the things that Jesus did for the children of Israel during the Exodus, and then said that they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the wilderness against the Most High. They willfully put God to the test by demanding the food they craved. Think about what Philip has just read. Shows another sign. Oh, give us more of this bread then if it's going to last forever. 
And what Jesus is showing is that those complaints, which is called sinning against God in Psalm 78, against God for more of what they need, is exactly what's happening here in John chapter 6. Can he supply meat for his people? When the Lord heard them, he was furious. Psalm 78 goes on. So here in John 6, let me read it in a different light. Let me give you Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of a few of these verses. When they found him back across the sea, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, you've come looking for me not because you saw God in my actions, but because I fed you, filled your stomachs, and for free. You've come looking for me not because you saw God in my actions, but because I fed you, filled your stomachs, and for free. What do we come here for? What's our situation with God? What are we asking God for? Do we come here because we want God to do something for us? Maybe if we go to church, we'll get that job or that promotion. Maybe if we go to church, we will feel better or a member of our family will feel better. Maybe if we go to church, God will do something for us the way that these people wanted just a material feeding. Or do we come to see God? Do we come around this table to dangerously walk into the presence of God? O come, O come, Emmanuel, is a frightening thought if he really did come. If we really took this bread and this wine, this body and flesh and blood of Christ into our lives and into the fibre of our lives, what would that do for us? Do we come to find God and what that will do to shudder the very foundations of how we live in our world, to live in his way of the example that we come towards? Why do we come? Is it as a cul-de-sac just to get what we want or what we need? Or is it to find the bread of life who is Jesus, the secret of the universe, and be aware that as we eat this bread and as we drink this wine, his flesh and his body, that we somehow connect with him and therefore start to live like he lived, which wasn't for what he got out of it, but for what he gave to others. Not a cul-de-sac that says, right, we've got that and we'll sit there with this. But that what we receive, enough and more than enough, will be broken and poured out for others. If it's a profit in your firm. If it's a bonus that you receive. Anything that we're given would not be for our little cul-de-sac. But for giving away the way that Jesus gave away. Don't waste your energy striving for perishable food like that. Work for the food that sticks with you. Food that nourishes you. Nourishes your lasting life. How do we get this, they say? How does it work? Eugene Peterson, verse 28 says, To that they said, well, what do we do then to get in in God's work? And Jesus said, 
words for the start of a new year. Throw your lot in with the one that God has sent. That kind of commitment gets you in on God's work. Or the NIV. The work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. The people were looking for a fact. They wanted another sign. They wanted some tabloid headline. We've talked about that already in this series. And Jesus was saying, no, look for the signs. God is among you. And when God is among you, and when you taste that God, and when you partake of that God, and when that God wraps himself around you in the reality of Jesus, the word who became flesh, that now is the flesh that you eat and drink, then everything around you changes. I'm not sure whether I've developed this well enough being home rather late, but let me try. When I was doing my radio show years ago, I had a 10-year relationship with music that wasn't really about the music. It was about the show on a Sunday night. Everything I bought, everything I listened to was trying to get 11 songs because it was usually 11 songs you could squeeze into an hour because of the amount I talked in between. You were looking for those 11 songs. Would that fit with that song? What about that song and that song? When I gave that up in 2006... I suddenly started to listen to music in a whole different way. I got the music. Not the minutiae of what might be in the show. And sometimes in our relationship with God, we've got the minutiae. We've seen a sign or we've seen something that's happened, but we don't stand back enough. We know the words maybe. Or we know what we should maybe do, but... We don't get the full impact of God. That's what they were doing here. They were looking for the detail rather than seeing the sign that God was amongst them. Was that what the DUP did last week? I don't want to be political, but it was an interesting illustration. When they wouldn't negotiate on a Sunday, though they did press releases on Sunday, they were on Twitter on Sunday, but they broke the negotiations for peace in the sun to hold some kind of word of God up. But was God in the negotiations? They held to something that they thought was an effect. But when they got into the negotiations, did they bring Jesus with them? It was forgiveness. The primary concern. Was grace the primary concern? Was loving your enemy the primary concern? Was making peace with all men the primary concern? Was being a peacemaker the primary concern? Or was the primary concern to have an effect, look how holy we are, because we don't negotiate on a Sunday? And what about us? Do we enjoy the effect, but fail to see the sign? It's all about whether we're living for the eternal. Or the transient. The miracle's transient. It's gone. You're fed. You've got the food. Oh, that was exciting. Let's go home and talk about it. But the eternal is forever. It's what God wants us to invest our lives in. Jean Vanier has said of this passage... Thank you for all the different people who give me all the different commentaries 
at the start of this that they thought I should have read and I picked up something from most of them. And Valier says, the word of God is the revelation of the love of God for the Jewish people. It is also the revelation of what humankind is about, what our lives are about, what the whole history of the universe and salvation is about. And it is sweet as honey, reflecting on those words of Isaiah. Why spend money on that that is what is not bread and your labour on that which does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. What God asks us to do at the start of this year. The word has become flesh on Christmas Day. The Lamb of God has come to take away the sin of the world. Back to Fitzroy 200 and looking forward to Wednesday night. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. In this chapter, Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread that gives us life and life in all its fullness. But to have that life in all its fullness, we need to commit to the one. It's not about bringing our intelligence. It's not about bringing our doing. It's not about attending so many things. It's about committing ourselves to the bread of life. Jesus Christ, God in flesh. Ezekiel 3. And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll, then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth and I gave, and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I am giving to you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. Last night, something had arrived as we came through the door for one of our daughters. Janice quickly scooped it up and later on kind of used it in a sort of that way that you do. If you tidy your room, we might have something for you. I know that's not the pure God motive in this story. But there's something in this. Because immediately daughter says, you give me it first and I'll tidy my room. Daddy's in the Fitzroy room thinking I need just something to get us to that table tomorrow morning. And there it was. There it was. The start of a new year. This table is laid before us. And we are now, in these next moments, invited to partake of the body, the flesh, the blood of Christ. Not transient, lasting nourishment. Completely rip up our lives, pull us inside out and upside down and back around. And what God is saying to us right here is, Here is the secret of the universe. Three quarters of young people have no purpose. Here is purpose. You're looking for what life's all about. Here is what life's all about. Do you want this life? Do you really want this life? Not for your own transient cul-de-sac. But in order that you might become heir of God, joint heir with Jesus, ambassador for Christ, my witness is the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The invite's here. Purpose, not only for now, for this moment, but forever, is right here. 
Now, what are you saying back to me? Yeah, but what if... Yeah, but if I... No. There's no dealing with God like the Jews and the crowds and the Galileans were doing in chapter 6. This is just us, as we are, without our dealing, or without our agenda, or without our cul-de-sac, saying to God at the start of a new year, okay, I'm up for it, whatever that means. End of chapter 6, guys, if we take it into Fitzroy, many left him at that point, because they were happy with the cul-de-sac. They were happy with the transient. They were happy with the getting. But this has nothing to do with getting. This is all about giving. I have something for you. No, no. I have something for you. You're invited.